Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is She and Her, and I'm Sandra Davidson. I am Anita Rao. We're recording in Hillsborough at the studios of WHUP, and we are really excited for tonight's show. Yes. Okay, so we have a real celebrity in the studio <laughs> with us tonight. Um, Allison Raybould, star of the latest season of Survivor Season 37, Seven? 37. which is mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. Thank you for calling me the star. That was very generous, but I'll take it. <laughs> well, I saw on your retina, AMA, that that might be, you might have some feelings about that, but... It certainly do. We, we, can, we can get into that. So, Allison lives and works in Chapel Hill, and she is a friend of ours, and we are so excited to have her on the show tonight, and we're just going to dive right in. Let's so, do it. So, <laughs> let's talk about how you first came to fall in love with Survivor, and start there. Yes. So my survivor journey is fascinating. Um, I watched in the early 2000s when it swept the nation like everyone else. And I had my like survivor heroes. And then, of course, I fell off the bandwagon, got distracted with high school and college and pre-med and all those things. And then eventually came back um, for Millennials versus Gen X, which is season 33. So my mom <laughs> was like faithful. She watched every episode for 18 years. Oh and then gosh. she recruited my sister back. My sister recruited my two brothers back. My two brothers have a Survivor-dedicated podcast. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, if my brothers are going to do this, then I need to watch the show so I can have this conversation with my family. Uh, and I fell in love with season 33. And I thought, how have I missed all these years of Survivor. And I think part of why I fell in love with season 33 is because, number one, it's a great season. And number two, there was a story. Uh, one of the characters, I'm calling them characters, and I'm a person <laughs> who's all on Survivor. <laughs> we're not characters. We're actual people. One of the people, the contestants on the show, his mother was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And his he had this beautiful narrative arc about his journey with her being diagnosed and then transitioning to hospice. And this was at the exact time that professionally I was deciding that I wanted to do oncology. And so for some reason, I felt like the stars were aligned and that my like professional vocational calling and this weird leap of faith calling to Survivor were meant to be on a collision course together. 
So how did you go from that to actually wanting to apply? Yeah, great question. That seems like a big <laughs> leap. <laughs> it is a big leap. And I certainly didn't realize when I was swept back into the, the show that, like, oh, I'm going to apply. I was actually – I worked a ICU shift, and I was 30 hours post-call – um, you know, because when you haven't slept for 30 hours, it's when you make all good life decisions. <laughs> and so I came home and instead of passing out and going to bed, I stayed up and I watched an old episode of Survivor. And I say there were sort of two competing reasons um, for why I wanted to apply. But on this old episode, they went on this epic reward to a bay that had stingless jellyfish in it. And I thought, only on Survivor would I have access to an experience <laughs> like that. And then I started thinking about residency. So I'm, I'm a physician now. And at the time that I made this decision, I was a third year resident. And residency is very demanding. You work 80 hours a week. You do these 30-hour call shifts. You give so much, not only of your time to your patients, but truly of your essence to your patients. And I thought, you know, I think I have a lot of grit. But do I have as much grit as I claim to have. Mm. And I thought about ways to test grit. And I thought, oh, do I want to run a marathon? Do I want to try an Ironman? All these kind of physical challenges. And between the pull to do something adventurous and satisfy my wanderluster spirit and this desire to prove to myself what I was capable of, I sort of settled on, I need to, I need to apply for Survivor. <laughs> and I texted my family this, and my, my family obviously were huge fans. They were also supportive, but they also didn't think I was being serious. Because like so many people have pipe dreams, right? Like we all say, oh, I'm gonna go to this place, or I'm gonna do this thing, and it's something that is just an off, far fantasy. Yeah. And so they all were like, yeah, sure, okay, thinking I was not being genuine or not going to follow through on it. And then I, being a type A person, I, <laughs> I wrote a script for my <laughs> casting video, and I wrote multiple drafts. I treated it like it was a cover letter or my personal statement for fellowship, oh and I sent it out to them. And at that moment, my brother was like, oh, shit, she's serious. And then I told him over Thanksgiving to bring home his video equipment, and from there, like, the train left the station. Um, and I was treating, even though I hadn't even heard back from casting yet, I was acting like I had already been cast. I was, I was taking notes when I was watching episodes. I was just, like, wow. consuming Survivor. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> you were cast, and just in the interest of time, because we have so many questions about life on the island, maybe yes. we'll fast forward through that That's and just okay. say... When when did you find out you were cast, and then how long did you have to prepare for when you you know landed? Right. So um, they called me on March first of last year, and I thought I was applying for a May season. I, that would have logistically made sense with my schedule. Um, and they said, uh, like, this is the call. You're on the season. You're on season thirty-seven. And I was like, great. And they said, you fly out on the twenty-first. And I go, of March. <laughs> And they're like, yep, in 20 days. You had 20 days. So I had 20 oh days gosh. between the phone call from my casting director and the uh, executive producer and time for my life to just be suspended for two months. Okay, so how does a type A person prepare during that 20-day <laughs> period? It was a very stressful period because work-wise, I was getting credentialed in the hospital. I had to give over all my duties professionally to my colleagues, including Sandra's fiancé. <laughs> so shout out to him for making this possible. Um, I My apartment lease was up, and so I was stressing oh about that. God. And I was a bridesmaid at a wedding in Hawaii the week before. So it's like, oh I gosh. just had a lot of balls in the air, so to speak. No kidding. Um, 
Um, and I think that I just gave my sister the passwords to every single account. There was a sheet of paper that basically had my like social security number. If everyone, anyone wanted to steal my identity, that was the key <laughs> to it. And I gave it to her and I was like, do your best. <laughs> And she did a phenomenal job. <laughs> wow, the family came on board. But like, right. okay, so other than, you know, just tying up loose ends so you can be away for 40 days or however right. long, what do you do to, like, okay. are you, like, are you eating a bunch of food? Yes. Because you have to, because like, if I'm correct, when you are dropped on that island, like, you're literally fending for yourself. That is accurate. It's not quite naked in the wild, but it's basically like that. Yeah, that's right. Like, there is very little that production does for you as in basically nothing you have the outfit on your back like the underwear that you are given is the underwear you're gonna wear for (laughs) potentially 39 days and they're they show that they give you rice but outside of giving you rice they don't give you anything else so you are foraging you're fishing you're doing what you can so what i but that was the thing is that part of why i wanted to play had less to do with the survival aspect and so much more to do with the social Mm. capital aspect and understanding human relationships and so i focused on knowing the game studying the game and being like you know what you're tough enough you can just figure out the rest (laughs) i did learn how to make fire because that's the most important thing one of my co-residents taught me how to make fire (laughs) i actually am a pyrophobic i'm afraid of fire i'm afraid of matches and so i never lit a match before and um so i feel more comfortable even now starting fire with flint and a machete than i ever would (laughs) like please don't give me a match like i will i will just run away from it um yeah so that was like step Uh, i learned how to gut a fish okay um and theoretic read the theory on how to kill a chicken because you can win chickens and i read some survival manual but that was it wow yeah Okay. So in terms of the social dynamics, you said that interested you a lot. What about that in particular? So I think that as a physician, part of our jobs is to step into a patient's room and immediately assess what do they need from me. I think the other piece is that your patient has his or her own agenda, then I have my agenda for what I think is right. And ultimately, it's finding where those two agendas blend. So I think that in, in residency, you see this whole host of people, whether it be the patients that you care for, who sometimes can be crazy in a whole, uh, I mean, so many different ways, or whether it's in the team, sometimes you're the leader, sometimes you're at the top of the food chain, sometimes you're at the bottom of the food chain. So I felt like residency in a way was a weird training ground for Survivor. <laughs> and I wanted to prove that that was true. <laughs> like being at your extremes, being exhausted, have, but still having to make decisions. Yes. That's right. I think that in my casting video, I specifically say that I have to keep my critical reasoning skills extremely sharp, even when I'm sleep deprived, when I haven't eaten, when I haven't really had a moment to myself for hours on end. And I think that that is exactly what parallels day 39 of Survivor. Like your body is ravaged and your brain is running on beyond (laughs) fumes and yet you still have to keep your wits about you. Damn. Okay. So episode one, you guys... Are you like arrive on like a cargo ship? That's right. And you're divided into two groups, and they, ha- they to the audience reveal the theme of it, which is David and Goliath. 
did you can you tell us a little bit about how they structured that and whether or not you knew that they were going to f- structure the teams like that? I had no idea what the theme was. None of us knew what the theme was going to be, and I had speculated knowing what past seasons were. I thought it was going to be a brain versus beauty versus bronze season. <laughs> they had kind of expedited me, and I thought I was going to be one of their their brain people. Um, and and so I was convinced of that, but the numbers weren't right. And so when we got onto these two boats before we get to that main cargo ship. I remember looking around and my boat was filled with like the big hulking muscly men and and a lot of the women who looked slightly more athletic compared to this other group that was dressed in like tartan plaid <laughs> and I thought these surely aren't the tribes like there's no way and you look around and when we step onto that barge I I'm I'm 5'11 and I was on the front of like I was the shorter end of the people on my team wow which has never happened where I'm like in the front row of something gladiators Uh, (laughs) exactly and so you're looking and you're like this they are gonna swap something there's a mistake and then they drop David versus Goliath and like I'm stunned but I'm also kind of terrified of the fact that I've just been labeled a Goliath. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I was pretty reluctant to be a Goliath, in fact, because I think, in I think number one, I understand the optics that I wanted to be the underdog hero mm-hmm. that everyone roots for. And by inherently being a Goliath, being labeled that, I was going to be set up to be, whether it's the villain or whether it's the obstacle. I was the obstacle to these precious Davids. Right. And I just outright didn't like that. I think the other thing is that, you know, the circles that I inhabit, I'm, I am and I'm not a Goliath, right? I am a woman in medicine. And that is something that's been a really long journey to get to where I am. And yes, I've established a reputation for myself. But I still think that number one, women, you know, in my profession, we are the the underdogs. And then number two, I work at an incredible hospital where there are these world leaders, people who are brilliant researchers, they're pushing the boundaries. I'm just some piddly old resident. Like, right. You know, so I, I am used to being surrounded by people who are more Goliath than me. Sure. Um, but I also think that I, I, I can own my Goliath nature. I understand <laughs> why I was put on the Goliath mat. I just didn't want my hard work that I've spent, you know, yes. my whole life. To be diluted. Yes. Well, and for our listeners who don't know, the way that they framed it, so David and Goliath, Goliath were was a team of people who had a lot of opportunity in life. Yes. Basically privileged is how yes. they would classify it. That's right. And then the David team are people who had worked with adversity, overcome a lot of adversity in their life. So yes. it was a very, to me, I felt like it was, when I first read that that was the way that they were framing it, I was kind of like, that's kind of of our cultural moment in an uncomfortable way, but maybe mm-hmm. that was the whole point. Well, I and I don't even know that part of it became, I didn't want it to be class wars in any yes. sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that was where a little bit I took issue is that uh, yes, I will, uh, one of the things I've learned is what it means to own privilege because mm-hmm. I can't deny that I come from an extraordinary family who cre- you know helped me create opportunities um, and, and I've always been uncomfortable owning the aspects of my story that are privileged. Um, and I think this experience has allowed me to be more comfortable owning my privilege and still acknowledging that I put in hard work to get where I am. Um, but I didn't want it to be a class wars. And I also think that there were people on the David Matt who come from my same background and yes. I'm not even talking class wise yes um and so I was like wait if I had glasses like Gabby maybe I'd be a David but I'm 5'11 so I'm a Goliath right <laughs> right 
So how did those first conversations go that day? How are you kind of sussing out the environment that you're in? Um, So I think by being labeled a Goliath, you felt much more comfortable kind of explaining what you were good at or you had to own why you were a Goliath, right? Like, What was the reason that you were deemed to be privileged or somehow um, have some advantage? What was your advantage? And so I think we all felt really comfortable and revealed a lot about like our backgrounds and whether it be our intelligence or our athleticism. But in a way I, that I look back, like those first couple of days, I probably let on too much about what I would have been quote, good at. In the game. Well, give us an example. Oh, I think that I had – so, for example, Angelina, you know, immediately told us that she went to Stanford and to Yale. And you look at that and you say, oh, my gosh, she's so smart. And I think that I did that to some extent, too. Like, I felt comfortable hearing her say that and be like, oh, yeah, I'm a smart woman as well. And there were there were five really smart women on the Goliath tribe, four of whom were ages 25 to 30. And we all just bonded instantly. And it was kind of like you wanted to fit in and say, outside of this sphere, we outside of this weird world, like we're the same. Right. And you wanted you wanted that uh, to be recognized, those accomplishments to be recognized because these would have been your peers in the world outside of Survivor. So how like are y'all being filmed 24-7 yes. in this? <laughs> 24-7 you're being filmed. You can't go to the bathroom without being filmed. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you have a moment when like early on where you're like, wow, this is about to be on camera? So, yes. So the very first couple of minutes of the show that are shown, I take off my shirt for the <laughs> challenge and I'm in this purple lace bra. And the reason for that is I hated that shirt and I was afraid it was going to get caught in the net in the challenge. But um, I definitely remember being like, oh, my God, my boss is going to watch this and I'm going to have like a <laughs> modesty box over my boobs right now. <laughs> and that just like reiterated itself. But you get really desensitized really quickly to the camera crew. Like You okay. become they're not even there. You're numb to their presence. OK, so let's let's go back to this. The strength that you brought to the table as a physician and a person that like inherently through your job has to empathize mm-hmm. and build a lot of rapport mm-hmm. with folks. How did you use that throughout your time in the show? I think that that was the skill that I kind of fell back on. A lot of times in casting, they asked, are you going to lie about being a physician? Because it could theoretically make me a threat just because people assume one thing or another about a physician, Hmm. whether it's that they're naturally intelligent or whether it's that they don't need the money or whatever the connotation someone has with the term physician, it could affect my long-term outcome in the game. But I always said that I was just going to be very um, genuine and my goal was to create genuine relationships with people, to just get people to like me and to trust me and to respect me. I think those were like the three things that you have to accomplish and that a good survivor player does accomplish. Um, And so whether it was interpreting Alec and you know, Alec became one of my closest friends. He's total surfer dude. We are from two different walks of life. I don't have anyone like Alec in my life currently other than him now. Um, And so I had to read that he was the type that just wanted to chill and good vibes. And so I kind of fed off of that. Whereas Kara, she shares with me the story of her mom's struggle with metastatic breast cancer. And that's where I kind of put on partly my physician's hat, but partly more just that empathetic, humanistic side and bond over that 
terrible life experience that she went through. And then I think that ultimately it was by relying on that skill set that physicians with the best bedside manner have, whether it's just listening and being a great listener or the nonverbal body language. But that was how I was able to form real relationships that truthfully are what I fell back on deep into the game. Gotcha. How much, so on a day-to-day basis, are you thinking, and I imagine it's hard to parse out, like, Allison that's playing this game and, like, Allison that's a human in the world? Yeah, I mean, the two get blurred so quickly. Yeah. I always say that one day in Survivor is, like, one day, is, like, one month in real life because you are so plugged into the person in front of you, you have zero distractions. You don't have your phone, you don't have any commitments. What you have is that person and getting to know them. And so there was a part of me that was like, you need to go and get, you need to have personal conversations with every single person on this island. You need to have strategic conversations with every single person on this island. And there was a deliberate attempt to do that. But there was also just a part of me that was like, these are incredible people. They're fascinating. I would never get to know John Hennigan, the mayor of Slamtown, in my regular life. And now I'm sitting here on a log with John, the mayor of Slamtown, and we're not even, we're just shooting the shit. Um, so uh, I think those lines between gameplay and personal relationships become extremely blurred. Well, what was it like for you? Because obviously people do lie. Yeah. Okay, did you lie, first of all? So it's so funny because I always said that I really didn't lie in this game. What happened, what I would say is in the moment when someone would present an idea to me or I would come to them with an idea, that was what I believed in in that moment. And I, and so that's why I felt 100% behind it. And it was only after when someone else would come along with a better plan that I was changed, have a change of heart. So I say I wasn't lying to so-and-so when I said I would vote with them and then did it, I just happened to change my mind. You were politicking. Yeah, I was politicking. You were politicking. That's like a straight out of the politics. That's right. Did you, okay, so I imagine you were also lied to. Could you tell? What was it like? Like, is that, I feel like that would be just so weird. Because you are building these relationships with people, but then you are aware that everybody's back channeling. Yeah. It is so weird because you have these great bonds, but then you also think, can I trust what they're saying to me? And that question never stops cycling through your brain. You really, you can become paranoid very, very easily on the island because you have no reassurance. There's no yeah. one who is just in your corner. You know, even though I felt a great bond to someone like Kara, I couldn't trust that she was always being genuine with me. Um, and I, there were times when you could tell like for example Nick and I had a complicated relationship and I felt like the two of us always were blowing smoke up each other's asses butts whatever (laughs) however the phrase goes um because we both knew that we needed to be talking to each other to be playing the game well but we also both were coming from two opposite alliances and really never intended to work with each other so it's this funny thing where where I think we both knew that we weren't being entirely forthright but we didn't we didn't own up to that fact ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So in terms of day-to-day life, let's mm-hmm. talk about food yes. for a second. Because by the end of it, you... Were emaciated more or less, <laughs> yes, and like literally, term. like call yourself a bag of bones. And I watched the episode where like you almost get this like Italian meal, and then you don't. And yes. You can just see on your face being like, "Why, God, why?" Oh. Um, so talk about the food aspect of it and what it was like to watch your body change physically. Yeah, I mean that it was dramatic. So you, we have such a limited amount of food. You are rationed rice at the very beginning of the season, and it is intended to last the whole tribe for the whole season. And they actually halved our portion of rice because they wanted to go back to basic original survivor, where it was really that survival aspect was drawing so much of what was going on. Um, and they, did you know they were going to do that? No. They announced it like what? when we land on the island. You're like, oh, wait, it was already a pitiful amount of rice. And now you're Actually, happy? this game wasn't hard enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We kind of gotten too soft on y'all. Yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, and they they intentionally do that because when someone's starved, they're more likely to fly off the handle and make for great TV. Uh, <laughs> but my, I mean, we day to day would eat, if that, um, like three tablespoons of rice. And there was a time when we were <laughs> so low that we were going every other day eating that amount of rice. So obviously that's not sustainable. We were foraging for coconuts, but it's minimal. And the weather was so bad for the first two weeks that we could not fish and then uh, by the later part of the season you have challenges and reward challenges so frequently that you don't have that much time to go learn how to fish effectively so I had one bite of a fish the whole time and then my rice ration and if I won a reward which the last time that I had won a reward was I think like day 27 28 when Alec was still in the game and they're 39 days and it's 39 days and I lasted till day 37 and so that last kind of 10 days or so I was surviving on rice alone and everyone else I see them progressively every time go on a reward and then not only do they go on they win the reward right I didn't win a reward from that point on they choose other people to go on reward. And I was left behind time after time after time. And it wasn't a product of people didn't like me and didn't want to spend time with me. It was that, and this is my interpretation of the events, they wanted to starve me out. There was this perception of me. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. And so I wanted to win. When, when, there's this perception of you. Okay, so please. there was this perception of me as some challenge threat, which I didn't deliver on that. I won one. Immu- I did a good job in tribal immunities, but I won one immunity. I came second many times. And so people kept fearing Allison's going to go on an immunity run. And so whether it was deliberate or whether it was just some sort of innate reaction, 
I was left behind reward after reward. And this was after I vomited up the last thing that I had eaten, which was wraps. Because you <laughs> ate too much of it or there was a food poisoning? I, that's a controversial. We don't We don't know. <laughs> I, I did. The survivor physician did give me antibiotics uh, for a potential bacterial enteritis. Um, <laughs> but it remains to be seen whether oh or not it was God. food poisoning or whether it was overindulgence. Very disheartening. <laughs> yes. So from the moment that I was vomiting, I was having, like, I mean, severe electrolyte abnormalities. I was having muscle twitching every day. And then to be left behind and this this time where it was day 36, I think. And I just thought, today's got to be my day. I mean, I just, I need it. I'm wasting away more than others. I tried to fatten up before I went on the island and I gained 5, 10 pounds maybe. But 20 days isn't that much time to fatten up. And so I didn't have a lot of stores go at the end. And and so I felt like my body had just withered into, I was a cachectic shell of myself. And I remember looking down kind of at my legs and I, I'm a so- former soccer player. I have very muscular legs and just seeing that they, there was, there was nothing there. They were basically absent. And, um, and so in that moment when I get left behind for reward, I remember wanting to be like, they're starving me out, Jeff. They're starving me out. But I, but then it's the game, right? You can't, that may not play well. And I actually take so much pride in my response then and there because I don't remember my exact words, but I say something about like, I'm still here and I'm still smiling. And I think that that was like perfectly representative of my kind of journey in Survivor is that even when it was terrible, even when we were in a cyclone, in a bamboo, in a bamboo shelter through a cyclone, I still took joy from the fact that I was going to live out this insane dream. How do you go to bed at night when you're bot? Like, I mean, what like physiologically? How are you functioning? You and are like, not you're, functioning. And you're, yeah. I mean, it's so funny because I think a lot of people from their couches are like, "That's such a dumb decision." It's very easy to be judgmental about the strategic decisions, but then when you play the game, I mean, just imagine. 15 days of straight rain and I my hands were pruny for 15 days my clothes were wet for 15 days not sleeping but maybe an hour two hours every night never having restful oh sleep oh you know? my god <laughs> yeah and then eating this minimal amount and then you add the layer of paranoia that there's no trust that you feel socially isolated and it's very easy for people to make irrational decisions um thankfully i don't think i made too many irrational decisions throughout it but you're physiologically you're not functioning you're and i have a really good example so i was kind of deemed a puzzler for my tribe and at the beginning there was a two-sided puzzle and i noticed within minutes that it was two-sided and was able to kind of help the team with that on day 37 which is the day that i was voted out I was the final immunity challenge. I was the first person off of the beam, the first person through the physical component. And I had this moment running up to the beach, like, I am winning this challenge. I This is happening. And I often go back to that moment and can, like, kind of push through. Um, but then when I get to the puzzle component, I did not notice that it was two-sided. And clearly, I had the baseline intelligence to detect it because on day six, when I still was functioning, I could. But day 37, wow. when there's no glucose going to the brain, I just simply couldn't. Oh. Did you ever want to quit? And is that an option? So it is an option. People have quit in the past. So I, as this huge fan, feel like playing Survivor is sacred. It is a gift. And I would never 
want to kind of jeopardize that gift and especially because there are so many people that do apply and don't get the opportunity to play that I kind of feel like it was my duty to, to stick it out and I know that people like during our first and second cyclones there were times that people were sitting in the shelter saying we should all quit I want to quit and that was sort of part of what bonded me and Kara so much is she just had this um, like mind over matter mentality and I saw this endless positivity in her and I thought that's the type of person that I want to play this game with and so day three day four I see her how she responded to adversity and that was the type of personality that I was attracted to you know as an alliance mate but also as a great friend okay so I remember you and I were talking about Survivor, I think at y'all's holiday Christmas or holiday party. Yes. We don't do Christmas parties. We do holiday parties. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was telling you that we wanted to bring you on the show Mm -hmm. to sort of talk about how gender came up. And one of the things that you talked about was that this weird moment you had where you were looking at yourself as throughout the season and you saw how much weight you'd lost and part of you had feelings about that that you didn't expect. So will you tell talk yeah. a little bit about that? So this was fascinating because body image post-survivor, I think there's so many things post-survivor that I'm like, I didn't even anticipate that. But body image is one of those really weird things. So I'm a former athlete. I've always been a lean body type. And I've always loved my body. Um, but then I come I remember going to what's called Ponderosa, the place you go to after you're voted out of the game. And I look in the mirror. I see myself for the first time in 37 days. And I guess I comment on how cachectic I am and that I voiced it away. But then my next comment was, I have a Victoria's Secret body. (laughs) Wow. And I remember being like, I finally have thigh gap. And being excited and happy with the way my body looked. And then I thought about how problematic is it? That only after I starve for over a month am I a hundred percent happy with my body, Oof. and it and it was just I mean it disgusts me on the one hand as someone that's like and wants every human to embrace their form and as a woman that's always been proud of her body even with the flaws. I can't believe that that was my response. And then when I come back and like my metabolism's all out of whack and I immediately gain weight and then everything is just weird again. And I, I remember looking at myself and being basically my normal body type and thinking, I don't look good anymore. Wow. Um, and it's so problematic. And Where are you with that? Well, so now I, I mean, now I've really, I've settled in to love my body again. Um, I feel like I've embraced my athleticism and the flaws. If there's a little, you know, I don't have thigh gap anymore and that's okay. <laughs> you know, I still, I still love my body. So it, but it took months. I mean, cause we, that was a holiday yes. party yeah. and I was probably still going through it. And I, I had weird relationships with food too. Tell us about that. Yeah. So because on the Island it's either feast or famine, most often famine. But if you go on reward, you want to eat to the point where you are just shy of vomiting. Like, it's so physically full that you've maximized your caloric intake and can build a tiny bit of fat store, but haven't totally, uh, you know, upchucked like I did. And and so when I came back, I was a... I remember sitting to eat and I wouldn't stop eating because the moment on the island that you stop eating, the moment is the roar's over, you don't get access to food again. And, and so I kept having those mentalities of, like, if I stop eating, I may not eat again for... a week or more Uh, and so it's very weird to know like how to listen to my body saying no you're 
full now. Like you're content and, and understand how to process that information. I will say on the flip side, I had this huge appreciation for food. So we get we get fed at all of our conferences in the hospital. And there are some days that we really don't like and we would kind of turn our nose up. And one of those is baked potato day. And it's literally <laughs> a bland baked potato. They don't give you any of the toppings. There's no fix-ins. Like, it's just a bland baked potato. And I came back in a week or two after the experience. I remember turning to my resident, like, friends and being like, this baked potato tastes amazing. <laughs> and they're like, are you, like, leave. Yeah. Get, Something is wrong. Get out of here right now. Um, so, I mean, there's the good and the bad. So, I fortunately was, it took two months for me to understand how to eat a normal meal again. I would look at a menu and I would order two entrees, which is also expensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I fortunately got through that and can understand how to eat to a content point again that's so interesting because there's this big movement that we talked about a little bit on our show about intuitive eating which mm-hmm. is this idea that like in response to diet culture we need to tune in with our hunger and fullness signals and how challenging that is yeah. when you are so used to like kind of tuning out of your body you know mm-hmm. you like eat when it's noon and you eat when it's seven and you don't really know when you're like hungry or full or satiated so i imagine it's kind of this you unlearned and then you had to relearn. That's exactly right. It's like yeah. an amplified um, tuning in. Yes. Um, when I was relearning right. that. And I think it's been ultimately really good because now I am much more, I'm, I actually listen to my body's hunger. So I also don't ever anymore say I'm starving <laughs> or I'm ravenous or any of those. Like I'm, I'm sort of a melodramatic person and uh, I would frequently throw that out there but now because I know what actual starvation felt like um, I make sure to say oh I'm hungry but not starving right (laughs) yeah will you will you talk about okay so I also understand that the way it works is that they eliminate y'all eliminate people up to a certain point and then everyone regroups to return, everyone goes back to a set and they select the final yes. winner, right? Right. Where Where were you in that sequencing? Because I know you made it really far. Yeah. So, so I made. I was the. I like to say the last person voted out of the game, um, which is to say I was fifth place at four you do a fire making challenge and whoever wins goes on and whoever loses joins the jury and so i think that's part of what makes survivor so fascinating is that these people that number one you have bonded with you're surviving together um that then you if you're sitting at that final tribal you had a hand in ending their dream, ending their chance to be the sole survivor and to win a million dollars. So you get to you get to kind of if you want to pay if you feel like you need to have ex- revenge, have revenge. You can exercise it in yeah. That context. And there are there are bitter jurors who you know really want to drive that knife in because they were blindsided and they were lied to and they feel like they were unjustly voted out of the game somehow. And I think that was something that I was really wanted to make sure I was not a bitter juror. I wanted to try and make the most deliberate decision and the most, you know, well thought out decision and not let emotion let emotion play into it because I think the best survivor players lean into their emotion, um, but not let it be the sole thing that guided my vote. So did you okay, so I'm just trying to figure out the timeline in the yes. sense that you came back to North Carolina and I want to hear about what that transition moment was that transition back was like and then you watched the whole season unfold did you know during that whole season that you were voted out 
had already been voted. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you sat on that too. So you I have sat to sit on, on everything. Yes. I so guess. I I knew that I was voted out because I was voted out two days before that final tribal council, okay. and and that was part of what was hard. Is I I came back to North Carolina and I mean I look like a shadow of myself. Everyone's very worried about me <laughs> and how emaciated I was, and so they knew even though. I wasn't saying how far I got it. They knew I made it sure. far. You know, you don't look like that without having made it far in the game. And, um, but they all therefore assumed that I made it to the final three because, it, I mean, it's a ben compliment, right? Certain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they all believed in me. They believed that I had what it took to make it there, whether it be the resiliency, whether it be the empathy, whether it be the the strength of character. They all believed in me. And that's so awesome. And then it also was so hard for me because <laughs> I knew I didn't win. Yeah. And so for, I mean, months because it it was about five months between me returning and the first episode airing and then another four months of the episode of the season airing that I was still in the game and people are still thinking oh yeah she's winning she's getting to the final three um that it was really it was challenging to kind of smile about it and to to like you know play coy about it all knowing full well that my dream was dashed two days short mm. so what was it like to watch the story unfold oh. on tv i know you have a lot of thoughts about i have that. so many thoughts on that 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 is its own separate experience so i my experience of playing the game was beautiful and raw and everything that i was seeking out in terms of proving grit and resiliency and having a personal narrative and personal arc personal growth then watching it back was really difficult because I, everyone's the hero of his or her own story. And so I had written my own heroine narrative. And in this story, I was the Goliath who helped lead her team time after time to victory, then joined the winningest tribe. And when the tribe swap in Tiva, won the first individual immunity, was called Wonder Woman, and then was caught with indecision between two alliances and suffered and became the underdog. It's that self-fulfilling prophecy. I wanted to be an underdog, and then I got to be an underdog. And for five tribal councils in a row, my name was written down, and I survived. And I didn't have idols or advantages or any of the kind of ploys that the game provides to ensure safety. I had personal relationships. And so I felt like I was clawing my way through as this underdog. And if I had made it to the end, would have had a great story to tell at Final Tribal. So I had written this, and I also felt like I was the contender. Whether it's true or not, I mean, I will never know. But I felt like there was, because I was called a threat, that there was a perception that if I made it to the end, I had a really good shot at winning. And so I assumed I would have a, even though I didn't win and even though I didn't sit in the final three, I would have a, quote, winner's edit. And because I built up this expectation of this hero narrative, this underdog tale, and this um, winner's edit, I was then disappointed when I felt like my story for a while was not told. I mm. do ultimately think that my story was in subtle moments told, um, but it was more of a disappointment episode after episode, especially pre-merged to kind of be quote invisible and there's this thing in survivor called the purple edit and it's it comes from this girl named purple kelly who had four confessionals <laughs> the whole entire time and i thought oh my god i'm the purple 
person. And I thought, how do you purple someone who breaks a record for the number of times she's voted against and survives? Like, I just didn't understand. It was incongruent to me how I could be the purpled person. And then you start reflecting, like, I've always thought of myself as a dynamic person, an engaging person. I mean, you have to be to get on the show. And then you start reflecting, like, maybe I'm not as charismatic as I thought. And I didn't really face criticism in the airing. I was really fortunate that the fan base was lovely and amazing and even reddit which can be brutal what i was i was a champion for them um and so i never faced criticism but if there was anything critical said about me it was that i was boring and i've never thought of myself as a boring person (laughs) and so to be confronted with this idea and all as a result of just my story not being told or me feeling like my story wasn't being told it hurt um and it hurt being such a fan and giving so much of myself to it and thinking, I don't know what I did to production, hmm. you know? Like, I don't know. Well, how, how how did the conversation take place among the – like, were you all kind of chatting about how the edits were yeah. looking? Oh, and, yeah. And how did other people feel? Um, I think that there were a couple other people that felt similar to me. Um, I think that a lot of people were surprised by my edit because hmm. there were a handful of people that thought – well, I would have voted for you if you had sat in the end. Why didn't they tell your story? And I think that there's some complexity to it that, so Jeff Probst, the host, always says that he wants more memorable women in Survivor. And I think that there are two different types of memorable women in Survivor. There are the memorable women who fulfill a trope, and whether it be in in our season, and I'm going to be very reductive, and this is not how I think about these people. They're really my close friends, but this is how when they go through casting, probably they're thought of. We're all archetypes to casting. And so whether it's that for Gabby, you're the emotional crier. For Kara, you're the siren flirt. Um, For Natalie, you are the villain. For Angelina, you are just electric TV in so many different ways. And so that's, those are, they, they reduce so many of us to our archetype. And then they occasionally give a full robust edit like what Angelina got. And so I think that the flip side is the memorable woman who is someone who is intelligent and empathetic and funny and sincere and genuine. And they had that. They had that in me. And I'm not the only one that they had it in. I think they had it in Kara. I think they had it in Gabby. I think they had it in in many of the women in the cast. And they didn't really ever choose to celebrate that. And I think that the Survivor fan base, they love a hero to root for. Why can't they also love a heroine to root for? Hmm. And they could have fully used me as their redeemable, rootable person, woman or man. And I'm a, and I know this sounds like I, I don't like that it sounds really arrogant for me to be sitting here saying I should have had I should have been the hero. But I'm just making the point that I could have fulfilled that role for them and they chose not to and was gender at play. Because when you look at the edits across the board, most of the women were reduced to an archetype, whereas most of the men had slightly more nuanced, fuller fuller edits. And did gender play out differently on the island? <laughs> yes. Like, and how was that a factor? Um, so that was one of the most fascinating things to me, that gender roles, traditional gender roles, existed 
on a deserted island. Hmm. I distinctly remember. So the men are given permission to go exploring and to go like hunting and foraging, whereas the women, what do we do? We um, cook the rice. I did the dishes, and by the dishes, I mean the one pot we had <laughs> um, and the seashells, um, and kind of like stayed around and tended to camp. And so I just remember being fascinated by the fact every time that I would go to the beach and clean the pot. Being like, how is it that I am the one cleaning the pot? For what reason does this duty fall on me? And and so I, 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 there's no reason. I can't understand it other than I guess we all know what our westernized society looks like. And so we fall back on that when we're on a deserted island. That um, it, was, it was very interesting to see. Did you have any other big philosophical takeaways? Yeah. I think that – so I learned – I realized at one point that every single person was out there for a greater purpose, right? Only one of us was going to win. It wasn't me. And while I wanted it to be me, it wasn't. And so I had a greater purpose for playing the game. And I think around day 15 or so, I was sort of confronted with what that was. And it all boils down to my vocation as a physician. And I realized that by understanding that type of suffering – and starvation and cold and just physical deprivation, I can understand my patients more profoundly. So no, what I went through for 37 days, it pales in comparison to what my patient who's diagnosed with metastatic cancer goes through. But I can at least look at them and tap in a little bit to the suffering I experience and be able to empathize more profoundly. Um, I feel... I feel like really lucky to have that as my takeaway. Did it change any parts of your life now um, in ways that are unexpected? I think one funny way is dating Um, because I was single going on to the show and then I'm single coming back and like had a relationship for part of the time and it was – it was weird to have to go through, like, watching myself on TV while trying to start a relationship with someone. <laughs> and I'm single again, and I'm on Bumble, and I'm like, do I acknowledge that I was on Survivor What at what point in time? And someone asked me, like, were you at Dr. Allison on Survivor? And, of course, I'm going to just be like, yes. And then he proceeded to watch the whole entire season before ever meeting me. And I don't know. I mean, I was flattered, but I also was like, this is a lot. Like, you've, this is a lot for someone that I am theoretically on a blind date with. <laughs> yes. So that's been a funny change to have to go through. Yes. That <laughs> happened to me when I was on online dating with someone listening to the entire season of She and Her. Oh, my God. And they were like, but they kept throwing in random details about my life during the date. They were like, yeah. And then in episode four, when you talked about it, and I was like, and your, and your mom came on. <laughs> yeah, and talked about it. Too much. I mean, too you can't much. be citing it all. Like, it's much. this weird thing that you I, I don't know how to navigate because obviously I've never had that experience of navigating and then on the one hand like you want the person to be really supportive right obviously this is a huge part of my life it will always be some big aspect that I can tap back to but I I, I don't know I also don't want them to just know me because they know what I was on TV yes yeah so <laughs> here's a, a sort of abstract question I have for you because I feel like a lot of women to go to the point of like how we're socialized yeah. and how pe- what roles people were playing. I feel like a lot of women would have a hard I 
it, you're, we're not socialized to conceive of ourselves to go into an environment like this yeah. and fend for ourselves and play this really this social game and also do the actual like survivalist mm-hmm. aspect of that. So where do you think that comes from in you? It, it, like the confidence and the self-assuredness. Oh, that's a great question. I, and I think that this is something I've sort of reflected on because I poorly managed my quote threat level out there. And I think part of why I was a perceived threat simply came down to how I carry myself, which is to say, even when I don't know what I'm doing, I still carry myself with an air of competence. Uh, and I don't know if that's years of through <laughs> medical student, I always say strong and wrong, say the answer, <laughs> strong and wrong, which is actually not how I practice medicine for the, for the record. <laughs> it's more of a funny phrase. But um, I, I think that because I, I in life, I want to be capable and I want to present myself as someone that is reliable and trustworthy. And I'm also, I'm, I can be self-deprecating too. And I think that's an important component of it. And I went on to Survivor being willing to fail. Um, and so I think that that was like those two pieces allowed for me to just say, yeah, I don't know how to chop bamboo with a machete, but guess what? I'm going to figure it out. And I figured it out. It took me a lot of time to do that. A lot more time than any than the mayor slam town, but I still got the machete out. Um, and so I and I think there was also just this free spirit in nature that Jeff actually acknowledged a little bit that I don't really acknowledge. I, I am, like I said, type A. I'm very deliberate. I'm very um, like meticulous in my decision making. And Survivor represents like me going against the grain in every sense. Like my, to be a doctor, there's like a 10 year path that you go on and you just embark on it. And then it's next step, next step, next step. And this was the only major deviation I've really ever allowed myself to take, to make time for. Um, And so I think that I really wanted to commit fully to the idea that this, there was this wild part of me that I don't really let be expressed at all times and rarely in fact and wanted to just tap into that and and own that part of my being love that is there any lingering changes from tapping into that wild side that are playing out in your life now i think so i think that i am a little more free-spirited i mean i i still am deliberate in my actions but i think i actually listen to i don't know if it's my heart or my gut but i actually let those guide me a little bit more and rather than being the type to make some sort of pro con list when a big life decision comes along <laughs> i just listen to what feels right would you do it again oh my gosh this is actually a really complicated question <laughs> <laughs> so i was about to say in a heartbeat um, but I have gone back and forth on that. If you asked me on day 40, immediately after the game, I would have said, yes, sign, send me right back right now. Like, let me fatten up a little bit, but then send me back. <laughs> and then um, I think going through the experience of watching and feeling the disappointment, I my answer sort of changed to, I'm not sure. And now where I settle out is if the timing was right professionally and personally and I could take another two months off, then that would be awesome. But I think there was also some magic to our season. Like season 37 has been heralded as one of the greatest seasons of Survivor. Like even, I, it's just cool that I got to be a part of such a great season. And what's more so is that the 19 p- other people I got to play the game with were exceptional. And I'm walking away with 
honestly a handful or more of lifelong friends and I feel like I was meant to play the game with those people because they're meant to be a part of my life outside of the game and I just don't know that there would be that same magic if I went back to the island wow all right y'all we're out of time yeah thank (laughs) Thank you so much (laughs) thank you guys you're awesome this has been a pleasure (laughs) y'all are listening to she and her you can find us on facebook and instagram at she and her radio and you can find us on she and her radio.com our show is broadcast every thursday at whup in hillsborough but we are available podcast form on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. So follow us there. And leave us a review. We're going to give you explicit details on how to do so on our Instagram feed in case you need them. But go to the podcast app of your choice, preferably iTunes, to leave us a review. And we'll see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.